people who really know music. So Jim Gellerty. Oh, he described you as glorious, one of Scotland's finest singer-songwriters. Nah, he's probably changed his mind now. I'm looking. Maybe he was <laughs> Welcome to Blethered, I'm Sean McDonald and this is episode 18 and my guest is Beer Jacket. Beer Jacket is a musical title of Glasgow singer-songwriter Peter Kelly. Peter, Beer Jacket, has shared the stage with many great musicians such as The National, Kristen Hirsch, Frightened Rabbit and has performed live at Tina Park, multiple times at the BBC and Glasgow Royal Concert Hall as part of Celtic Connections as well as two headline shows at Glasgow's famous King Tut's. I'm a really big fan of Beer Jacket's music, so I really enjoyed sitting down with and getting to know somebody who I've been listening to for, for quite a few years. I actually first became aware of his music when I started listening to Graham Hunter's Big Interview podcast in 2015, and that's this unmistakable tune for anybody who's heard the podcast. We talk about a variety of different things, including Peter's early interest in music, his new album Silver Chords, how difficult it is living in the information age, doubting yourself, uh, the resurgence of vinyl records, and the difference between a physical record and just streaming music, plus a load of other general chat that you just need to listen to in, in order to find out. This was, this was great to record, and as usual, You'll just be listening in to two people having a conversation, so I really hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Cheers. One final thing. After each podcast, I get a lot of messages from people either wanting to ask me questions or discuss some specific points, whether it's the depression episodes, gambling, ones talking about boozing, and also people asking to be put in touch with other people who've contacted me and so on. So I'm now using Flick Chat. It's a free app. It's free, and it's essentially just a live chat where people can either send me a question or talk to other people who happen to be asking the same things. So if you want to join, send me a message and I'll send you the direct invite. Whether you want to speak specifically about the gambling episodes, whether you're looking for other people who are participating in discussion about depression, whatever it may be, people will be on here talking about it. I get messages on on Twitter DM, Instagram DM, Facebook and to the podcast email but the reality is I've also got a job, a life and everything else and it's far too much to keep on top of so I'm losing track of them all. I don't mean to be rude but eventually they disappear out of sight and I sometimes don't get back to people and I feel terrible about it so as I said give me a shout, I'll send you the link, um, I'll also tweet the link so if you just look for the tweet where I mentioned Flick you'll be able to find it there. Um, it actually really is a, a useful and good app just for centralising everything and putting you in touch with other people who are either talking about the same things or going through the same things or even interested in the same things. Cheers. So I'm welcoming today newest guest Peter Kelly aka Beerjacket. Peter, welcome to Blethered. It's fantastic to be here. Excellent. Now we're going to talk about a couple of things, mainly Silver Chords, your new very unique album, 
Uh, but first, I'd like to hear a wee bit more about you in terms of music. You know, how how did you first get into to being a musician? It's quite difficult to track it back. I've been I've been a musician since I was about eleven. If you put it one kind of way, like kind of when I had my first guitar and that kind of thing. But even before that, I used to um, I used to create a sort of almost like an, an album concept, not a concept album, imagine yeah. a concept album by a ten year old or whatever, but I used to sort of make up the idea for an album before I could ever play music, before I could ever even sing or anything like that, but I would do the artwork, I would draw pictures and I would uh, kind of create whole albums of lyrics and I would even kind of, I think there was always like a kind of thematic sort of idea, I'm talking about what I used to do as a ten year old. And now I pretty much do the same thing. In fact, the thing that I've just completed is it's more like that than anything else that I've done. You know, I've drawn all the pictures, I've created a story, uh, stories in fact, um, for each for each song there's a story. And there's just this sort of strange full circle. So where did I start? Um, I suppose the first sort of proper musical awakening would have been Nirvana when I was a teenager. That was the, the sort of the one that opened the door and whilst I mean my music doesn't sound I don't think anything like Nirvana mm. it feels to me like Nirvana it feels like I'm trying to trying to create something that feels to myself in making it like that did in hearing it so I, I, I don't know it's difficult to figure out what your beginnings are I'm not uh, a great believer in beginnings I think that you're always sort of Continuing, and, and you were always meant to be wherever you are. I heard you saying that you used to take the Nirvana tape about with you. I did. I, that was that was a strange sort of thing, probably. Like you know, when I was at school, I can remember I, I always used to have the tape in my my pocket, you know, next to my chest, and I, I think there's you could view it symbolically that I was keeping it close to my heart. Aye. I genuinely think it was a physical need to be close to that, that record, never mind. I get that. For me as a wee boy, it was, I was at a football, always right. at all times, or, and or something Celtic related. Right. Something. So obviously that to me, that was like my identity. Yeah. And I felt yeah. without having that, that a part of me was missing or subdued or whatever. So, I mean, you've got quite a, a very deep, to me, for what I've seen, a very deep relationship or sort of connection with, with music. So obviously it seems to me as if it was something that it is just you and was going to manifest itself in, in one way or another. I mean, I think, you know, I, I, I don't know if this is a thing that's unique to, uh, to to being Scottish and from a particular part of Scotland. You don't almost want to admit, you know, how deeply you're connected to something Aye. like music, especially something that you could view as maybe... So as soon as you start viewing music in a more kind of ethereal way, it's a, it's a magical thing, which I do feel. I do feel it's magical. You know, you almost want to kind of protect yourself from being, you know, judged that you're a bit pretentious or something like that, or uh, or you think you've got a more special relationship with music than anybody else. But I think uh, I think the truth is, I do feel like that. You know, I'm, uh, I'm, I, I would count music as one of my five best friends. You know what I mean? And, and, and I, I really I, I think it's difficult to it's difficult to disentangle where where the music is for me and I don't mean just the music that I make but the music that I hear and the music that's mattered to me and and, and the rest of me I'm, I'm I think that I feel like there's big bits of me that are just music. So I'd like to first we'll talk about your album. So it's called Silver Chords. 
it's new and very unique. And it took you three years to complete, didn't it? Aye. Talk us through that. I mean, you'll explain that a lot better than I could. What What is it, first and foremost? Well, what it definitely is, what I can say tangibly is, is a record that is in a book. Now, that's not completely unique. There are, there are other books that are... Uh, you know, sort of housing records or there's certainly other books by musicians but I don't think there are any other records where there's an equal sort of relationship uh, with stories and songs I think that is unique, probably won't be eventually, somebody will rip it off and they'll make it make a much bigger deal out of it but um, what it is beyond that is oh, it's a really strange ar- artefact of how I spent a few years in my imagination because mm-hmm. I wasn't spending three years at the exclusion of everything else. I mean, I'm not some sort of romantic poet, you know what I mean? I'm, you know, I'm living a real life. This genuinely feels like a thing that came out of, out of dreams and out of a, a kind of a, a helpful distraction that was always there. I was always sort of working on it, but even now, I mean, I've had physical copies of this now for months and I still can't quite believe that I'm looking at it. I mean, part of the reason is that it's it's a more beautiful thing than I could ever have done on my own. And when I pick it up and I look at it, it does feel, feel surreal, you know, because what it is, more than the literal, is just this, it's just this weird proof to myself that when you have, when you have dreams and you have uh, an imagination, then they can kind of force their way physically into the world. Mm. And I, I think my, my wife shakes her head at me talking about this, but uh, I think I think when you dream something, you can make it make something change in the world. I think dreams have got a really strong relationship with reality, so that when you're, you know, you spend a third of your life asleep, it's such a bizarre act if it's not somehow impacting on what you do the rest of the time so I mean I think that's this is the closest closest I've got to proof that when you have a dream you impact in the real world because I don't even feel like I've ever written a song I don't feel like I've ever written a story and I don't feel like I know how to draw and I've got a book with a record and stories that say otherwise that I, I can do you feel that you are just essentially creating or writing down what already exists in your head? I do, aye. I know, it sounds like, um, I, again, I've got to be quite careful, I don't sound pretentious here, but no, I, I, I seriously feel that if I was to try and, I had to recently show people, I was doing a, a songwriting workshop um, at We Write, because I was doing I Write, and they asked me to do uh, this thing at We Write, so I went into a school and I mean, I'm really comfortable. I'm a teacher, so I'm really comfortable being in school. It's no problem. But what I'm not comfortable with is um, I'm not comfortable with not knowing how to tell somebody how to do something because that's what a teacher's meant to do. <laughs> Whereas trying to tell somebody how to write a song is utterly abstract. Mm-hmm. So I had to go away and pretty much for the, the weeks and maybe even months before it, I had to sort of figure out how do I write songs. And I wasn't meaning, like, how do other people write songs? I mean, like, how do I write songs? Because I could have come at it from a really kind of, I don't know, kind of rudimentary, this is, these are the steps that you take, and that's not how I write songs. Yeah. I felt like a fake. So instead, I had to sort of find some kind of halfway house between being completely airy-fairy, because I've got no idea how you write a song, even though I've written 
thousands of songs um, and try to give a wee bit of a, a step for a hint. How do we do it? I might trip over my words here a wee bit, but I do know what I'm trying to get out. So I think while you might not be able to teach somebody how to write a song because for you it's not formulaic, there's no sort of blueprint. By looking at, so I'm looking at the book just now, and obviously the, the, the CDs in there as well. What that then I think is an example to people that if they have something in their mind which is already there, or you know they've got some sort of dream that it can then become a reality. Um, so the kind of thing I wanted to bring up here is, so I'm big fan of your music. First became aware of it in 2015 on the wow. Graham Hunter Big Interview podcast. Um, if you listen to Graham Hunter's podcast, the tune that you hear at the start is is Beer Jacket. Um, for me, like with with the the music, so, well, something that backs it up. So, Kristen Hirsch, mm-hmm. is that how you say it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you you were touring with her. You were kind of smaller venues. I've done loads and loads of gigs with Kristen. Kristen's right. She's massive, isn't she? I, well, it depends what you mean. She's massively important to the people that, uh-huh. that love her music. You know what I mean? She's she should be way way more famous. I mean, she's. I don't know how much you know of, of Kristen, but I I've been a fan of Kristen Hirsch since I was. In fact, I. The first time I can remember, sort of, uh, oh gosh, I don't even know if this is the first time. I remember playing Your Ghost by Kristen Hirsch at my 16th birthday party wearing a Kristen Hirsch t shirt. Wow, so if weird, I could be any more of a fan, you know. So what I mean? at the end of the at, at these shows, you were duetting that show, that's all, yeah, so that must have been mental oh, for aye, you. Aye, aye, I mean, but we've, that, that's, we've done that maybe about. I don't know how many times now actually we, we, I was playing a couple of uh, dates with her not last week, the week before um, and you know we were doing that song again and every time we do that song it's it's a bit of a, a bizarre sort of I can't find the join in my life how did I go from being a massive fan of this person who's uh-huh. been a huge influence in my life and the way that I live it and, and not just in terms of music but the whole approach she's got to sort of her, her philosophies her, the way she thinks and cares about things mm-hmm. and, uh, and and then I end up we're, we're very good pals and you're like a you're like a poster boy for anybody that would teach the law of attraction or the secret or whatever you know like I think it is that you know they say like so as within then will become without and if you're, you're saying you live in your dreams and your imagination and if that to you is essentially a wee bit of your reality that has somehow I mean I could come up with a better journalistic line but fuck me that's to me that's mental that's happened now she said something which backs up what we've discussed. Right. She said, in terms of how this is your expression of really what is within you and your creation, she yeah. said, no matter how much music you listen to, you really stumble across a musical approach that does not wear its influences on its sleeve. These songs speak in their own language. So she was speaking about your music there. Aye. That's, that's some compliment because almost every musician, no matter how massive, you can sometimes pinpoint their influence whether it was from a certain genre or a certain artist I mean what do you think how does that feel to hear essentially your hero say that about you oh, I mean just I, I, I was actually trying to dare myself not to talk about Kristen all the time in, in interviews I can't do it because she's she is in many ways like, she has my biggest influence in terms of my uh, you know especially like kind of how I've gone about doing things by myself you know she's absolutely against the grain in terms of you know commercial interest is 
zero. She's just not bothered about that. She's a pure artist. She recognises people that are pure. She recognises definitely people who aren't. She keeps a wide berth, you know. So to have her say things like that, to have her uh, not just like championing my music, sort of one thing, but actually. She, she cares, you know, about uh, about my music. She cares about me. She's she's just a really good friend. She's mm-hmm. she's amazing. I mean, I, I think if if I did one thing out of my entire uh, creative life, if I was just to point out to everybody who I ever speak to that the person that they're missing in their life is Justin <laughs> Hirsch, then I would have done a pretty good job. That's, I'm sure there'll be a lot of people going to sort of chase up her music Kristen Hirsch Throwing Muses 50 foot wave aye those are those are, are all essential that you need to know all of her music she's the best to give a wee further explanation so Silver Chords this is your sixth album I've no idea I genuinely don't I th- know I think, so. I think I it is right so now accompanying to explain for anybody wondering in a wee bit more detail accompanying these 12 songs it's a collection of 12 short stories intertwined sorry with music intended for consumption alongside it. Now, you've also written a forward, and there was something that really jumped out at me, and I'd like to talk about this. Right, okay. It's kind of away from music. So you said, there's a state of disorientation in which most of us secretly live our lives, pretending all the while that we know exactly what we're doing and what the world expects of us. The truth is, is that everyone is guessing, but some of us happen to be gifted actors or just good liars. And those are the very people whose apparent lack of fear places so much pressure on the rest of us to be sure of our direction. Now that kind of impacted me because I thought oh, brilliant. it kind of brings me to the whole. We spoke, I spoke to this quite a wee bit. You know the comparison culture, oh, yeah. social media. Yeah. You know what's, what's your thoughts on that? Because obviously that's come from somewhere quite deep within you. Yeah, I just think uh, I think that we waste a lot of time not being honest and. Mm. Um, I, I think if there was one thing that characterised a lot of how people really feel, it would be fear. You know, people are quite terrified. You know, of, uh, of judgment and of uh, of being maybe not as, seen as not as good as somebody mm-hmm. else. And you can miss so much when you concentrate on either the opinions and judgments of other people, or just on the wrong aspects of other people, looking at what somebody else has got, looking at what somebody else has done. Yeah. I mean, I know one of the, the kind of phrases that gets thrown around a lot, um, ironically on social media, is comparison is the thief of joy. <laughs> Guys, you're probably responsible for <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, tweeting that. But, um, but you know, the idea of... I, I, I completely... I, I feel your pain about comparison Aye. culture. It's... That is the horror of social media. I've had like it's hard. This, like, this is hardly groundbreaking insight, but for me, it's been like a personal realization. And although, although I've been aware of this, it's hit home more. You know, there is a, a heavy importance I think these days on like we are saying what you have, what you own, what you wear, where you go, what you spend, how much money you've got. There's a f- there's people I know or know of who seemingly have every single thing they could possibly want for cars, money, watches, clothes, holidays girlfriends, boyfriends but they're still not really that happy and it's kind of made me think like not to a, a major extent to the point where it defiled my character but I did always think if I have more I'll be happier because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've got more stuff and the pursuit of wealth and while having these things are nice it's not really 
I mean, if these people have it and they're not that happy, it kind of makes me think, oh, wait a minute. It's like being halfway up a mountain and seeing people at the top and they're like, by the way, it's shite up here. <laughs> it's like, all right, is there any point in me pure busting myself to get up here or should I focus on, on other stuff? How about just enjoying the view from where I am? Yeah, right. I mean, I think uh, people, people are just not very good at pausing, you know, and I think that's something that you've... You, Ironically, you probably master it more as you get older. Aye. You know, the, the ability to take in the good stuff that is in your life already. And, and I suppose that is ironic because, you know, as you get older, there's less time to enjoy it. So mm. I, I just think it's such a shame that particularly, you know, people that are growing up within that culture of social media and uh, always sort of desiring something else or maybe just trying to hide from you know, your real life and who you are through presenting something else, they're missing so much time mm. and, and you know, I'd, I'd never want to be like one of these people who's like getting older and more nostalgic and kind of judging about the way that people now live but I do feel lucky you know, that I didn't always live within this time mm. because it's a, it's a time that you know, it's People use all the same language to describe it, and no one really does anything to stop it. It is toxic, you know, but it's damaging people, you know, to live too much in that time. And I mean, I think, you know, when I was writing the the stories, one of the things I really wanted to do was to kind of stay away from markers of the time. And there's only one thing that I maybe left in. Maybe there's a few actually, but there's one particular mention of social media. I purely took on the advice of another person that was more qualified as a writer who was helping me to edit and I'd never, I mean because I'd never written stories before actually, and I still don't consider that I've written stories, although I'm writing more, I mean I've, it's, it's sort of spiralled, I think there are more things now that I'm creating without meaning it, mm-hmm. rather than there's still this one thing that I don't know how to write songs and I'm, yet I'm doing it, I think I'm doing more and more creating of things that I don't actually know how to control but um, when i when I was advised that I should put in something about social media, I think it was in recognition of the fact that even without meaning to, I was talking about it. Mm-hmm. I think it's inescapable. And, and rather than it being a marker of the time, I mean, it is inescapable. This is not going anywhere. So people are always going to find some sort of relevance um, to thinking about the problems that we're facing now. Because mm-hmm. it's just not going to get fixed. It's, it's horrific. It really know. is. I think there's like, there's, there's a Facebook, people like, Steve Jobs when he was alive mm-hmm. I don't know if Tim Cook at Apple they say or when it's put to them how much time do your kids spend on tablets or laptops they kind of laugh in like this incredulous disbelief like are you fucking joking like, I don't let them near that mm-hmm. I, like, I, don't, I don't let them near that it is like a babysitter isn't it um, it's, 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 quite, it's something that's difficult to navigate I think as time goes on we're seeing how harmful it is. It's like mm. exposure to radiation. You sometimes mm. won't see the, the effects until a wee bit later, and then you can like, oh, shit, <laughs> that's actually really dangerous. Like We need to keep that at kind of arm's length. Um, I mean, do you doubt yourself, even now that so we're, you're aware of it? Because I'm aware of it, and I doubt myself quite a lot. Like, Do you, do you doubt yourself? What, in general? Aye, in general. Absolutely, of course I do. I think if you don't doubt yourself, you're probably probably definitely wrong you know what I mean Delusion. you should always I kind of question yourself all the time and I mean I, I suppose doubt myself if I started to think about creatively I, I doubt myself creatively because <coughs> the very thing that, that I was saying like, I, 
I kind of think it's I almost feel I don't know if it's a little bit of imposter syndrome or something but I kind of feel a wee bit in doubt that I've ever actually done anything mm-hmm. to justify somebody wanting to come and hear me play buying something want to talk to me about it because it feels like it genuinely feels like something that I'm not fully in control of because mm-hmm. it's happening happening in the background I mean I suppose maybe the, the, the doubt that I've got is you know how much I'm maybe impacting on it and, and ruining it by trying to control it mm-hmm. you know maybe I don't need to doubt myself as long as I stay out of it in terms of personal um, my personal doubt or whatever not wouldn't, you wouldn't be human if you didn't doubt yourself mm-hmm. you know and, and I think I don't know the the sort of expectations that you've got of other people as well. Sometimes I kind of, uh, I, I, I have to question myself. You know, what did I expect of that other person, and why did I expect it? Like I remember being uh, asked by a traffic warden years ago, like, do you think I can? Do you really think I can let you away with this? When I, I was like a minute late back to my car, and I went, I hope so. And he went. No bother, mate. On you go. And so, <laughs> no you know, I think sometimes if you if you if you doubt other people, that's uh-huh. maybe more harmful than doubting yourself, which can be quite positive. Mm-hmm. It's a strange analogy to make with the traffic uh, warden, but uh, you said um, there was something you said there that kind of made me think about something previously that you'd mentioned in, in other interviews that you've done, or kind of things you put out. I'm but, impressed that you've been reading other interviews. Oh, I do, I do my, do my, I do my research. You said that you put. You would never put music out under your own name. You would always mm-hmm. do it through Beer Jacket because... And I'm trying to think my words carefully. Because if you put that out, then it's essentially, it's not you. Uh-huh. It's like something else because you'll take that less personally. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I can free it up more to be a better version mm-hmm. of what, what, I hope it, what I hope it would become if I'm not getting in the way because as soon as you put your name on it and I, I've actually got a lot of respect for people that will put their names on things you know because it's it's a commitment it's like a signature you know you've no. you've said that no this isn't a, a creative thing that has you know appeared like you made it happen therefore any sort of judgement is, is of you it's you know me, yeah. it does feel very personal I think but um, but the irony is that I think as time's gone on I've allowed the things that I write about to become more and more personal mm-hmm. inevitably because I'm a songwriter and we don't speak properly we veil everything it's all hidden in metaphor anyway <laughs> so you know you'd have to you'd have to be kind of siding through all of the imagery and stuff like that but the truth's there you know and I don't kind of I definitely don't I don't hide anything I don't pull back from um, this uh, the, what I hope something will become the vision of it or whatever Um and I think maybe I'm a wee bit more liberated to do that because I'm not using my name. Mm-hmm. I mean, the interesting thing is, um, now that I'm writing other things, I was saying this at I Write the other day, I have written quite a lot of other stuff now, and I don't know, I can't really avoid it being under this name, but it's going to be really, really odd releasing more like stories and stuff like that using not an author name, because mm-hmm. everybody... You know, they would at least maybe have a pseudonym, but it's not going to be like you don't use a metaphor as your name, a beard, you know, beard jacket. Aye. It's a metaphor. There's never been another author, I don't think, who used a metaphor as their name. That's really odd and could be quite difficult for people Aye. to get their heads around. It's very unique, though. 
beer jack, it means warm, the warmth that alcohol brings. That's right. Is that what it is? But I, I, that even that's kind of followed me about a wee bit as well. I'm an incredibly moderate <laughs> person. <like that. laughs> it makes it sound like I've got some sort of a, a drink problem, which I clearly don't. I know what you mean. Like, those <laughs> few pints can envelop you a wee bit. And... Well, it's, a, it's a metaphor for like, it's sort of a joke with myself that if I don't use my own name, then I don't feel things. And in the same way that if somebody's been drinking, then they don't feel the cold. The irony is that, of course, well, a beer jacket doesn't work, and this name doesn't work, mm-hmm. because it's oftentimes I'm on my own on a stage, or I'm on my own explaining things, or I'm certainly on my own when I'm writing, so there's actually no protection at all. You're always kind of on your own, and, uh, and, and I think that's maybe quite a good thing, to be honest with you, you know, to... Uh, to have a, a metaphor that doesn't work. If I felt like I was actually able to um, divide myself up, Batman, Bruce Wayne, you know what I mean? <laughs> He's a very conflicted character, you know. Aye. I don't really know if I want to be two different people. So I, it's, it's funny as well when folks say, like, kind of, it's all right if I call you by your name in a podcast, or can I mention your name in an interview and stuff? Of course, because it's my name. I'm doing this thing. It's like. It's like I can I work for this thing. It's like this is you're talking about Steve Jobs. I suppose it's like working for Apple. I'm not like under any illusions that I am Apple. I'm not beer jacket. You nah, know what I mean? It's, I get you. it's quite weird when sometimes like on a radio thing or something like that they'll ask you to do a wee ident and they get you to introduce yourself as beer jacket. I'm not going to do that because <laughs> I'm clearly not. You know that's. It's not what my parents called me. You know what I mean? I'm not going to start using that name as a as if it's my actual name. It's so weird. I feel like um, people who really know music. So Jim Gellerty, you probably know what I'm going to say here. I he described you as glorious, one of Scotland's finest singer-songwriters. Nah, he's probably changed his mind now. I'm like, maybe he's steaming it. That's hefty praise, and oh, I feel like from from what I've seen, anybody who who really knows music is a, is like a big fan, like. How how are people with you in the industry? Do people get in touch? Do they want to collaborate? Do they? I've, I've deliberately sabotaged quite a lot of these really? kinds of relationships. Aye, because they would change. They would try and they couldn't do it. They would try to change things. Um, and there's very very few people that would be able to work with me quite the way that I do things mm-hmm. because I'm I'm really bloody minded about it. And that you know if somebody's interested in what I'm doing, that, that means I'm already doing it right. I don't actually need to change anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm certainly totally open-minded, on the other hand, to like collaboration and things. But the industry stuff, I'm a wee bit, I deliberately stay on the periphery of that. Mm-hmm. I remember there was somebody, um, well, somebody was quite insistent that they would like to do a deal with me. And straight away, the way that they were coming in was, you know, this, like talking as if this was going to happen. And I was like, well... You know, I'm really, really happy in my life, and, and I suspect that you couldn't do anything to improve that, you know. Um, and there's only really one person that I would have worked with at this stage, and that is the person who's made this possible, Neil Wilson. Scottish fiction's a really tiny sort of cottage industry mm-hmm. sort of label. And um, the, the real sort of... It's not like he was passing a test or something like that. I was up for working with him, but the real sort of sign that I had, you know, I was working with the right person was I said that I didn't want to put out vinyl, I wanted to put it out as a book. And I thought it would go 
no, of course not. Who do you think they yeah. are, you know? But it was just an immediate yes, and so now there's this thing, and it wouldn't wouldn't exist. So I think like the it's again like what you're talking about, law of attraction. I think people that have got the same sort of mindset, they gravitate towards each other, Aye. and if you're on the periphery of something, it's because you actually don't fit with it, you're something else mm-hmm. and being something else is alright It's a good example of being kind of true to yourself and like mm-hmm. you say, not trying to reshape yourself into that mould yeah. you know, so that, you, so that you bypass the periphery to, to kind of go into that um, it's something I would hope to to maintain yeah, yeah. for myself so uh, it's well, we, were, we were talking before we started obviously about sort of the feel of this podcast and the fact that it's hopefully it's Still feeling good um, when you're listening to this one. <laughs> but cross, but this I, one doesn't ruin me. <laughs> well, I apologise in advance, but uh, I, when when I've been listening to them, I've I have liked how you know it's real and conversational and you know the way that it's meant to be. And it's absurd to think that anything would ever be any other way. You know, mm-hmm. imagine something's not a conversation and people are speaking. Imagine that music's not a communication and it's something that's been packaged and sold to you. You uh-huh. should feel ill with that idea, you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I get, I get what you mean. There's a f- I'm, not, I'm not even about to start bad-mouthing any podcasts um, or anything like that, but I know what you mean. Um, and I think you can tell that. You can tell when something's not genuine. Mm-hmm. Or you can tell if it's a sort of... I don't know, in a podcast, let's say, if it's a bit of pre-rehearsed rhetoric, mm-hmm, or, if, or if somebody's not listening to the other person, if they're just li- waiting till they're saying what they've said so they can then get their part out and spew it, and I hear some, and I do think, oh, that's a bit disjointed, like, you're not really actually responding to, yeah. to what he said, and I, I, know, I think with music as well, you can tell that. I mean, we've all got guilty pleasures, we all like a wee bit of manufacture pop now again there's catchy tunes but really does that music stand the test of time not really I think everything's got a everything's got a place and a purpose it's just you know maybe not with me (laughs) (laughs) it's it's good if you can kind of find where you're where I suppose the links with your guilty pleasures are to the things that maybe you're proud of because probably they're the same thing Uh again it's how things are packaged so like some really clever pop music, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and the idea that somebody would kind of cut their nose off despite their face and not like a great song because it feels like something that lots of people would like. Aye. That's a, kind of, that's that's, a sickness. Aye, that's you know, weird. you need to get over that. Aye. You know, you just love it all. I think that you can apply that. You know, sometimes you just look at things and go, oh, that's a thing. It's not for me. People like it. I think sometimes we've got this habit in life or society where we feel as if everything has to be labelled good or bad mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or it's an extreme opinion one way or the other, it's like shite, brilliant, shite like t- you know, ticking things or putting it in the yes or the no box, and sometimes you can just go yeah, that's alright people like that, it's, that's not for me I'm kind of trying to get better at that um, I don't know if it's just symptomatic of today's life and again, we're coming back to social media where, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, everything's an extreme opinion yeah some things, yeah, well, it's not for me. Some people like it. Ah, there's a lot of pressure, I think, for people to have opinions, and I think it's sort of it's at odds with what an opinion is supposed to be. An opinion is supposed to be born of a belief, you know. So mm-hmm. if you feel strongly about something, then you should share that opinion by all means. But aye. we shouldn't feel that we've got to have an opinion about absolutely everything. I, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, you know, quite comfortable not to know about football. I'm quite comfortable, you know, to sort of laugh at my lack of knowledge about that you know and uh, and at the same time I would never be ignorant of the fact that 
this matters to people. Like that's a thing that you know folk are really, really passionate right. about football. And, and for me, you know, it might be music, but for them, it's football. We're actually speaking about the same thing. We're speaking about passion and mm-hmm. the things that make us feel alive. You know, something you feel represents you. Music and football actually really intertwined. Something that Graham Hunter goes on about quite a lot. Mm-hmm. That that's wonderfully ironic that. As somebody who's not got any interest in football, you're in one of the biggest football podcasts. Or you're, you're at the start of your, your song is. How did that come about? It's basically because um, a really good friend of mine, who's actually he's been part of this as well, uh, Martin. He, he's uh, he and his his, his partner at, at Backpage Press oh, right, do this podcast, the Cream Hunter podcast, and um, I, th- I think he just asked if they could use that, and mm. I was very flattered that they wanted to use it you know but I didn't realise it was going to mean that there was this sort of audience of football fans uh, you know millions as well aye I, I, I mean I, I think he's definitely he and they have done me quite a big favour in, in making that, that sort of you know such a sort of stamp for years now it's been on you know uh, and I'm sure that um, you know it'll be released to other people that didn't know that there are other tunes, you know, you can actually hear other songs, like <laughs> film songs, you know, yeah, yeah. it's only like 30 seconds or whatever, but it's so catchy okay. though, it's such a, for me anyway, I love acoustic music, right. it kind of just kind of strikes a chord with me. I just, I, the reason why I've always said I stuck with acoustic instruments for the most part, when there's like, it was a wee bit like, uh, I don't know, reinvention of the wheel, the fact that there was an electric guitar on my new album, <laughs> that's like a, Quite left field decision for me, but um, but I've always stuck with acoustic instruments because I just think there's no, again there's no hiding, you know. If, if sometimes the best bits in an acoustic performance are the mistakes, and you know these are things that would actually be hidden under noise. So mm-hmm. when you've got like a, a sort of a little crack here or a little kind of squeak there, mm-hmm. it's something something quite special. I think they like you know if, if you think your favourite live performances. You can and you're listening back to it and you're singing along. Like I do this anyway. I will also say like if somebody shouts something in the crowd, I'll also oh, shout yeah. that. And I know, oh, really? it, I know oh, when it's coming. Oh, or that's brilliant. If, if, if they, they kind of deviate for like the normal lyrics or whatever, you still know it's coming. If they speak to the crowd, like I, I love that about um, with, with sort of acoustic or live tracks. That's made me think of uh, if you heard the. Folsom Prison album, the Johnny Cash one. Uh-huh. I mean, there's certain like even it's the way that he talks, I mean, a timbre of his voice and whatever. Um, so like in between songs is actually maybe as good as the songs uh-huh. on that performance. So I, I totally know what you mean. Uh, yeah. the, what immediately jumps to mind for me there is the boy named Sue, the live one of that as well. Even the way he's shouting the names uh, at the end. That's San Quentin. It could be wrong. Could be wrong. I think that's San Quentin, uh-huh. which has also got a great story. Um, about when he was arrested for stealing flowers. Fantastic. I mean, he's like, actually, the other day, um, when I, somebody was asking at the iWrite event, um, you know, what, what my influences were, and um, one of the influences, well, I always talk about the same influence. If I'm not talking about Kristen, and I managed to not talk about her during that, <laughs> but uh, if I'm not talking about Kristen, I'm talking about Nirvana, and um, the guy said, I, th- I thought maybe more like Johnny Cash, and I was like, take that. But, I mean, the honest truth is, I mean, I started listening to Johnny Cash probably about 10 years ago or something mm. like that. It's not a sort of, you know, I'm not I'm not a dyed-in-the-wool Johnny Cash fan. I would be caught out, you know, in 10 seconds flat by somebody that actually really mm-hmm. knew Johnny Cash. But I think there's sort of a... There's an attraction to his kind of... His 
the Enigma and stuff like that. And uh, I, I think, I think, yeah, that's a, a really interesting thing you mentioned there about just the, the things in between songs. I even think about like this is going to make me sound like a complete, you know, train spotter. No offense to train spotters <laughs> about uh, Nirvana, but like, there's, I could tell you where like the feedback is going to come in uh-huh. in a live performance. I know, like, in in between songs, I really do sound. Let's just go for another stereotype, like a stamp collector. Stamp so like collector. A stamp collector, train uh, spotter, butterfly presser. I don't know, even know if that's a thing. To stamp, do stamp collecting virgin is my go-to insult for somebody. I don't know if I could even start stamp collecting. So again, if it's somebody's belief, somebody's you know passion, then go for it. Uh, I'd quite like to be a train spotter. There's a, have, you, have you watched the Inside Central Station programme? It was on the other night. I Absolutely don't really watch TV, it. to be fair, so I think I probably watch about half an hour a week, and it's the Aye. Alan Partridge thing that's been back on. Aye, it's been good. It's been amazing. I would recommend Inside Central Station. That's been good. Right. Uh, BBC Scotland channel's been really good, actually. They had the uh, Rogue to Wrestler. That's good. It's a guy, Mark Dallas. He's got a company called ICW right. Wrestling. Uh, basically, they've got six misfits, for want of a better term, and they've all got a passion for wrestling or whatever and they come in and they could kind of put through their paces and I don't have any interest in wrestling but the show's been the show's been magic um, uh, BBC Scotland channel's been great and you were on Keyside Sessions oh yeah yeah let's yeah. talk about that how'd oh, that come about oh that's great um, I mean I've, I've I've had a really good relationship with the BBC for years you know they've always sort of supported things when they're coming out and I mean there's some amazing people work there and, and, you know see for all it's a you know, a very, very big organisation and everything. The thing that really strikes me when I'm doing anything with the BBC, there's some super passionate, knowledgeable people, incredibly Aye. professional, but like really, like they're passionate, you know, music fans. And the people that were working on that were some of the best that I've ever worked with. And the sound and the way that it looked and everything, it's just. The building's it's incredible, oh, isn't it's, it? It's gorgeous. I mean, it's that's, fantastic. Place. That's what I've liked about any time I've been in. I've been in a couple of times recently, and um, although there's essentially big names, if you know who they are, and the the, the the building is enormous. It's so fast, and it seems so professional. You've got the studio in the middle. You've got all the things on the side, but everybody seems so. I, want, I don't want to say it like a community spirit. It sounds a wee bit patronising, but no, it's, no, it's kind it of it's like I think, like you know, that even like because now I've been I've been doing stuff there. I think maybe I did a session there in two thousand and nine. Was the first sort of a big thing. It was a oh, that was good actually. It was Vic Galloway's program. Vic wasn't doing it that night. It was uh, Paul Carlin was doing it, um, and. It was live, and I'm pretty sure it was in li- live on Radio 1. I could be completely wrong, oh, really? but I think it was. I think it was a sort of, uh, I think it was like a whole week of things where they were going straight to Radio 1 with things. Anyway, first thing that I had done there, you know, was this live to radio thing um, at midnight. I mean, it was even that. Like, I remember going to the sleep after work, you know, before I got up and went to <laughs> that, and then back to sleep, back to work. But um, I, I, the people that I worked with on that session, you know, many of them are still there. And so you meet them, you know, time and time again. Mm-hmm. And there's a sort of excitement about seeing people and, and still working together. And it does, it almost feels like, I think it almost feels like a kind of community effort, even for like musicians coming from outside and sort of working again with people over the years, and you're kind of 
continuing to make things, you know, at both sides, you know, the kind of technical side, the creative side. It's like you're, you're contributing to the fact that people are still being creative, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just, I, I, I love doing stuff at the BBC. But the key sessions was probably the, my favourite thing I've done um, at the BBC. And uh, I actually, before it, I was thinking about this earlier on, before it, I was sitting having my dinner in the canteen, I was on my own. Julia Dugan, who uh, often sings with me. Hi, Julia. And listen. Julia helped you with the illustrations. Well, she you, didn't you half. Had... She didn't just help me with the illustrations. I drew the pictures and she made them actually look like beautiful and I know what they would like when so I gave her them. Couldn't have been done without Julia then? No, no. It would have basically, we laugh about it, but the truth is it would have been stuffed into a poly pocket with A4 printed pages of <laughs> my home printer with the cartridge running halfway through. But uh, aye, so Julia was Julia was sick the night of the of the key sessions and had to pull out on the day. And I'm sitting there and I was eating my dinner. The show time was in about an hour or something. I'm eating my dinner thinking, oh no, I don't know if this is going to be a good one tonight. Like everyone, you just get this a horrible, you know, bad omen. Like mm-hmm. I just got a bad feeling. Like this is going to be a really embarrassing, bad gig. I feel terrible. And I felt like that right up until, like, right up until the second that I was playing. And then, that's where you really feel like you're not really in control of it. I, I didn't put a foot wrong that night, and I have done other times, for mm-hmm. definite, you know. And I just sat there and enjoyed it, like, the fact that this was just happening, and I didn't feel like, again, like, I always feel best when I don't feel like I'm really doing it. I'm just in it, you know, and... Uh-huh. And it was happening round about me, and it was that was a magical night. That was absolutely magical. And the, the thing is, the fact that it was being filmed, and I've got the whole thing. Like, kind of, it was on. I think there was like maybe twenty minutes of it or something on iPlayer for the month or whatever. But I've got the whole like forty minutes or however long it was, and uh, I mean, it's it's probably the best gig I've ever done, and I've got it. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's the kind of thing that you know do something at the BBC like that that's quite high profile yeah. or whatever they're going to film it amazingly well you know from all these different angles know, it looks so good and it sounds brilliant and whatever and, uh, it's just it's a, it's a wee gift when you do something with them what was that like after I mean people must have your phone would have been gone mental aye, first of all aye. but what, I mean in terms of did you have a spike in followers uh, I don't again don't wait Equate things to social media followers, but you know what I mean. Like, was that's, there a reason? That is, profile? to be honest with you, the way that sometimes that's the arbiter of it now. Because I mean, it's not like I don't know. People, I think people are still re- reticent to speak to you and tell you like they like it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, for the most part, because it's I don't know how many people would I do that with? Nobody, basically. I mean, it's funny uh, when you see when you, you you know people that you look up to and. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you, you do see them. There's no home for that kind of, you know, that kind of, do you realise how much you mean to me kind of chat either, you know what uh-huh. I mean? So, like, if you don't know somebody, you can't do it because it feels weird and you definitely can't do it when you know somebody. So, basically, social media probably is a, kind of as good an indication as any, mm-hmm. you know, that, like, folk really like this just now. So, it did speak and um, it was nice to... It was nice to see on the night, you know, there's this kind of immediate kind of reaction. There's people, I don't know what I think about phones at gigs, I'm all good with it as long as it's not like, 
capturing something really embarrassing that you know I've forgotten the words and now yeah. somebody's got it forever <laughs> kind of thing. Um, but you know, the people were like tweeting during it and things like that, and you know, it'd be good if there would be a, a way that people could just be there and not do that, but mm-hmm. also. You know, you're a musician and a wee bit sensitive. It's always good to find out that they liked it while you were doing it, you know. So. I get you. It's one of those things I always think, like, what I do it as well. I try my best not to now, but filming the moment to say, look, look, I was here, mm-hmm. or to look back on it instead of being in the moment and just maintaining that because you're, you're never getting that moment yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can replicate it somewhat, but it's never going to be the same. Yeah. I mean, take a picture or video it for 10 seconds or whatever but then put your phone away man just enjoy it I know <laughs> right. I, I mean I, I suppose like there was a time when you know people didn't document everything and mm. it's not like it didn't ma- matter you know what they were listening to watching or whatever it was where, where they were it still meant it meant maybe more because mm. they were really in it you know I sometimes wonder I don't know I don't have the answers for people and I've not really done this myself but I wonder if people do feel the need to video these things because it is that continuous upkeep or documenting that now nah, things are going well like I'm doing stuff like life is good because yeah, maybe people think oh if it wasn't in social media it didn't happen that's yeah, not for everybody yeah. um, it would be good to, for us to start moving away from that I think it would do a lot of people a lot of favours I don't know if I don't know if uh, I don't think anybody would disagree with it mm. I think it is what everybody wants they all want to be in in their life mm-hmm. it's I don't know like some sort of weird agenda by you know controlled by technology companies or something to be um, completely like compromising how much we're really here they kind of turn us into robots but everything's been digitised doesn't it music's digitised you're no longer I mean is that why you've partly why you've you could just go no and then that's that point shut down but is that why you've made the book the CD is it's important to have something to hold because you know you pay money yeah. but you don't actually own it oh I know and just, that, that was a big part of it I mean it was sort of another discussion that we had kind of fairly early on was right will we do an, will we do an audio book will we also do the you know Kindle and all that kind of stuff and actually I was a wee bit scared of the, the sort of the commitment that we were not going to do that because I think it was Neil was Neil Wilson was really quite strong about it it was like no we want to make this a physical thing and we're keeping it with that that's mm-hmm. the that's the, our idea so that's what we're doing and Julia really backed him up and I kind of thought oh wow right okay this is dead brave because mm-hmm. I mean there's just not that many physical things left you know yeah because it is essentially if you look at it from a practical or a business perspective, you would say, are you mental? Because everybody, I mean, I listen to audiobooks all the time, I listen to my Apple Music and all these things, but it is, again, it's another indicator of you being true to, to that concept, to that principle, that idea. Um, and it's, it's, it's really nice because how many, I think you would be hard pushed to find anything that's created in the modern age that isn't avail- available yeah, yeah. and more mass consumed than the digital um, form which which is a f- it's good that you can get it but at the same time you're like oh it's a shame maybe these these forms are dying I, I mean bookshops are still they're thriving you know mm-hmm. and, and I think rather than it being like there were a few people kind of joking about it when they've been sort of 
interview me and stuff like that. Oh, I get your your ideas cornered in both markets, and I mean, I suppose you could view it that way. Like, oh, this is a clever marketing strategy. Mm-hmm. It's not. Uh-huh. It's an ethical, you know, position. That we wanted it to be a physical thing, and that's what it is. And we've stuck to our, our guns, and it's really um, because we've done that. It's been maybe more of a kind of an inroad to saying that we're part of something not, you know, not of this world or not of this time. And instead, maybe our home is more than a bookshop or something mm-hmm. like that because these are places where, you know, the, the physical object, it's meaningful. It's not just, this is a helpful vessel for this thing. This is the thing, you know. Uh. So, like, we did a... Um, a wee sort of in-store thing at Golden Hair Bookshop, which is just the most beautiful-looking place. I mean, like, even if even if somebody hated books, although I can't imagine anybody hates books, um, but, you know, even if people feel that they they hate reading, maybe they hate the, the sort of they hate the act of reading, but they enjoy being read to because everybody does because mm-hmm. that's inherent. You know, you've grown up uh, being read to, uh, and then that disappears, and maybe it's the, the loneliness that now you're the reader. Maybe that's why people don't read, possibly. Um, but you know, being being around books, being around words, being around like the smell of books, and this is going to sound totally bizarre now, but there is you know something about the oh, kind of you know what I mean that's like, not bizarre everybody will know what you mean the, the smell the feel of it the aye, sound when aye, you crack aye, the spine totally. that feeling I mean when you're in a when you're in a place surrounded by that it feels like a, it's like a sort of it's kind of a sanctified thing it's mm-hmm. special you know what I mean and, it, and then you look at maybe how we've, we've killed certain other things maybe through not providing them with that same sort of uh, you know, like you know, giving them that value. You know, it's a shame that record shops have, you know, closed down. Even like you know, big chains and things like that, because it, maybe it's because of the way that people started to view those objects as being just sort of like eventually unnecessary. Aye. You know, containers of the thing. Because they're still like beautiful records. You I know? look at the resurgence of vinyl and stuff. Is one of these my mum and dad have got a vinyl player. It's got a Bluetooth thing they built into it, but they well, still have it's the it. Modern right? world, you still know? got it. If anybody does like um, the the feeling or the the process of shuffling through records, then LP records is where you want to be. Yeah. Do you know it, Aye, Lorenzo? Totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, LP records is open. It's on Park Road next to Kelvin Bridge subway station and it's absolutely magic and it's also the home of LP Radio which you should check out I have you been I, in there? No but I, I know that they're selling this and I, I, I just think they Oh are they? I didn't know that Aye, aye, aye. So, um, Ah not at all but I think that's a great example as well you know LP Radio that's the the, the way I think of a kind of revitalising what might have been seen as sort of uh, a wee bit of an anomaly in the time, you know, a record shop. Why do you mm-hmm. why do you have record shops? We've got streaming music, that's why. Aye, you know, exactly. Because we need to bring back the fact that a record's a thing, it's not people think of um, I don't even think people think of albums as much as they used to. Now they think about they've thought for years about tracks. Now I think that's almost been sort of yeah, kind of claimed by streaming services and you know I've, I've had to put stuff on streaming because there's only so far you can 
sort of step away from mm-hmm. the world before you become just completely obscure. You yeah. know, congratulations, you know, live on a planet all of your own and <laughs> no one knows anything that you're doing, you know. But but I think, you know, the idea that it's been kind of claimed by streaming culture, you know, the idea of a record, the idea of music is absurd, you know. Ultimately, you know, as much as I buy Apple stuff and I'm, I buy into technology, I think technology is in its place great. You know, the idea that a technology company has taken art and has, you know, commodified it in a way that then other technology companies Aye. have done the same, that's that's ridiculous. Fight back. It's, it's, a, it's a thing that has been created from somebody's heart. Mm-hmm. They, they felt passionately, they made a thing, or they were visited by some sort of imaginative idea. They, they had something happen to them they want to share with you in a physical object, and you just stream it instead. Aye. It seems like a waste, you know? I know what you mean. Your approach and that sort of mindset and ethics reminds me a lot of a pal from Glasgow and Barcelona as well. His name's Gallum Veach. Is another plug for somebody else, but he's got a like a clothing brand. But right. everything is um, so. I mean, he's got clothes, he's got jumpers, men, women, t-shirts, um, shirts, dresses, hoodies, all these different things, bags, notebooks. But everything is um, or so it costs them more to create because it's organically created and it's fair trade sourced and it's hand printed and everything. And that's starting to really pick up. But for a while as well, people. I, I, Maybe we weren't buying as much into the product, I don't know. But once he started kind of communicating even more that, you know, it comes from the heart, it isn't he ripping anybody off, isn't he, mm-hmm. you know, t- exploiting anybody, it started to get a lot more popular and kind of a lot more traction. But he's very much that way. Because I'll admit, I said to him before, like, you could get these things a lot cheaper, you know, <laughs> you know if you bought in bulk and he's like, I but it's not fair trade and it's not this and that was really important to him. And I always thought, actually admirable so it's not just about because I was like dollar signs like you can make loads of money here and he, he does do well off it um, but it's all and it's all very much artistic like the I would urge anybody to look and he called it Dovetail Designio which right. is like Dovetail Design and um, it's worth looking at it. his Instagram is Callum.cat but it's C-A-L dot and then L-U-M dot C-A-T um, and he has one of the finest models um, that, that money could buy Modeling the stuff. That was me, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, in a pure bargain basement. Um, but I worth looking at. But I just as you were saying all that, it's just I could. It's like listening to him as you're talking about it with music and it's just it's fighting back. World, it's a better world if there's ethics. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And that doesn't mean like having some sort of high morals and you know being thinking you're superior because of what you think and believe. It's about. Like, I just think everything's communication. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's put in their heart and soul into creating a thing you you will feel and know the difference mm-hmm. next to what you're sold a lot of the time you know, you know what I mean everything's sort of got obviously a value attached to it and it's hard to you can't sustain something without selling it ideally I wouldn't even be selling these things I wouldn't have things for sale it would be you know this is a this is just a thing that I want to give to people right. and, and I mean that's idealistic you know it's not the world that we live in but it's a shame that the world that we live in is so far away from that that people are being sold things that actually nobody really cares about or likes or mm. is passionate about and underfoot of all of these people that are you know commercially mass producing things and just pouring out reconstituted garbage on top of people underfoot of those people 
are the people that are really, really trying to give something to others, you know, and mm -hmm. this isn't like I, I think I mean art won't ever, you know art can't save anybody, art can't clothe anybody, but it's important and the idea that people would, you know, be not only denied it but denying themselves it through choosing other things that are the more obvious yeah. rather than investigate and find out what else is there. <coughs> it's just a, I actually feel I feel it's a shame, you know what I mean? There are a lot of people that allow themselves to be blinkered by the way that they're told it has to be and it doesn't. Mm. There's independent scenes in every artistic discipline and why are they independent? It's not because they couldn't do things in another way and probably be more profitable for themselves. It's because they believe in something different. They believe in something that is going to be uh, more valuable to others because it's from their own values. And I'm preaching here. No, but, but you, I mean it. Quite right. You know, you, and you certainly practice what you preach. So, I hope so. And I, so in that case, I'd say, um, you know, you're 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 well entitled to. Do you have any, any gigs coming up, any, any live performances? Some stuff I can't talk about. I'm doing the uh, Solus Festival in Perth, which is it's a really good uh, festival, and it's now in its 10th year, so this is its 10th birthday. Right. So uh, I'll be doing that. Where can uh, people get tickets for that if they wanted to go along? I think, well, there's, I know, I think it's just on the, the website. Just I don't on know. I mean, to be honest, I've never bought tickets because I've only ever played at it. But You're always getting <laughs> but, <props. laughs> but that's that's a that's a really good one. It's it's, it's a it's always a kind of like a very different atmosphere than your kind of more corporate sponsored sort of festivals and things. So I've, I've got a few festivals coming up, including I'm not able to talk about. Uh, things that haven't been arranged yet, because okay. you've got a whole set of schedules and things uh -huh. like that, but one of the things that's been nice is that now I get involved in more kind of literary festivals as well. Right, magic. Which, I mean, that was basically the, the, the kind of big dreams were that it was going to be in bookshops as well as record shops, which it is. A smaller number maybe than we would have wanted, but, you know, it's brilliant that we're basically, we've got the only record on sale in bookshops, it's mm -hmm. pretty good. Um, and doing literary festivals because I thought there was a wee show in there, you know, that wasn't just playing songs as much as obviously that's what I've been doing for a long time and I'm, I absolutely think that's a good thing but uh, but the fact that now we've got these kind of other versions where, you know, chaired, um, you know, sort of chaired events, Alistair Braidwood did the, the one, um, does the Scots Mahay podcast yeah. and website, um, he did the I Write one and previously I've done it with Neil from Scottish Fiction as well and it's nice doing a chaired thing where there's a bit of chat, conversation about kind of creative process and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff as well as like playing songs and reading mm -hmm. and I mean that's, that's a new thing to me, you know, reading obviously I, I, teach, I teach English so I do a fair amount of reading stories, you know, Hi. to people but it's different when it's your own yeah. and that was quite a that, I mean, I, I don't really like being comfortable. I, I really genuinely like feeling a wee bit awkward and a bit sort of on an earth because magic happens. Yeah, you said it makes you feel alive. I, I want to feel like you're in, in the moment. And um, and definitely the readings have been where I've been in the moment, you know, seat of the pants kind of stuff. And Cause we, are you reading it but also trying to perceive or pick up what people's reactions are? Inevitably. Uh -huh. I, I mean, I think like anybody that says that they're not is <coughs> telling big, huge porkies, you know. I'm, of course, I want the same as, you know, any other kind of performance. You want 
the audience to be getting something from it, right. feeling something, you know. So, like, one of the things that I had to learn to do was just slow down and don't, like, tear through it at 100 miles an hour. Let them get the lines and listen to them and respond to them. And the feeling when you get, like, a laugh or some sort of a, a, an emotional reaction from a line mm-hmm. and a story, I had no idea how how intoxicating that was going to be. You feel amazing because you've written a line, didn't need a tune, didn't need you know any sort of catchy kind of thing that you would put in a song or whatever. You don't have any of those musical aspects. It's just the words. And when you make a connection or yeah. a, a line that you've written, that is, oh, it's so good. Is that an addiction it. that you think will see you writing more? Well, I've been, I've been doing more. Um, I mean, I kind of, I'm, I'm incessant when I'm creating things. I've, I'm, I'm overtaken by it. So, like, I wrote by accident while I was waiting on this album to come out. I wrote another album, and then I've started writing another album. But in between. <laughs> both of those things happening, I found that I was still writing stories, and I'm like, why am I writing stories? This is, it's out now. Why uh, am I doing this? So you've opened that box. I've, I've written a bunch of other stories, probably another thing a wee bit like this, plus there's something longer as well, and I, I'm totally over the top, Sean. I have like, the kind of, I have the kind of manic delusions that make people do stuff, make uh. people actually create things, you know? So like, I, I was talking about filming stuff, and also, I've just want to do everything, you Aye. know. And at the moment I stop creating something, then you know I'll, I'll, I'll miss it. So I just go with it. It sounds like. Have you always written the stories, or was that something that you just did fairly recently? This is really, really weird, right? Uh, during one of the one of the wee events where I was being asked questions on the spot in front of an audience, I realised, oh, that really is actually that's a really good question. I was asked were these the first songs that had stories that came along with them? Mm. And I got a wee bit of a fright because I thought, gosh, aye, it actually is the only time, which means I'm definitely not in control of this. It's not like I had the idea and and I went along with it. Mm -hmm. I was listening to the songs and I realised they were also telling me stories. And that's that's quite a... That's going to be a... That would be a difficult thing to replicate, Uh you know what I mean? So I'm not... I'm not a... I don't feel any more of a writer than I feel a songwriter or able to draw or anything like that. And I've, I've done them all. So I'm, I'm, I, if I'm not, then something else must be doing it. So which which makes me ask this question, do you meditate? Um, because were you oh, saying... That's an interesting question. I think, do we not all kind of do that by accident when I we suppo- go off? I suppose so, <laughs> when you go into that thing where you sort of come out of your own head a wee bit. But just we saying, a couple of times you've mentioned... It's something else, yeah. or there's, there's another creative force. And often, you know, sometimes people will meditate in order, like, you know, a very conscious meditation, whether it's through chanting or through, you know, stillness of mind or through that visualization. Because it just seems to me as if it's almost as if it's coming to you from somewhere right. higher up, and you then are the, just the vehicle that is expressing it. I do not that it's that. not yours. No, 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 I do believe that. And even like the other. The other day, that was today. Gosh, it's been a long day. Um, I've been doing a lot of stuff, and um, I picked up I picked up the guitar earlier, and I was there's been something sort of floating about for a couple of days, but it wasn't right, and I'd sort of recorded it a couple of times, and there were different versions of it already, and I realised I was getting in the way of it, and when I picked up the guitar today, it was there, and it was complete. 
complete, absolutely. It wasn't like I had to do anything. It was just there. There was mm. nothing different about the way that I picked up the guitar. There was nothing different about where I was. But the song was different because it had written itself mm-hmm. since yesterday. And my wee boy, um, I wasn't even aware, was able to hear it. Um, and he said, is that a new song? And I said, yeah. And he went, it's good. <laughs> it's the same song that I'd been playing the day before and he didn't say anything about it. Right. So I think like there's almost like a kind of mutation that happens when you're not looking and it's it's like uh, it's a wee bit like this is it's probably nothing at all like this but I'll still use this analogy I remember um, a goldfish died when I was uh, a wee boy and I was absolutely distraught about it my dad said to go to you know go to your room and, and lie down and you'll feel better and then I got up like half an hour later. This is a long time ago. I know, obviously not recently. I was like seven years old or something. And when I got up, um, the fish was swimming about, and I was like, "Oh wow, how did that happen?" Now, clearly, my dad went out and bought another goldfish, Aye. and I didn't know that at the time. But it does feel a wee bit like that when you've gone away from something and you thought it wasn't actually that good, mm-hmm. or or you were ready to abandon it because you thought it was just not what you wanted to do and then it, something else just brings it to life and you're not really not really in control of uh-huh. it that's because um, I mean you started the, the album or the book I keep I, I suppose I should call it both in 2015 so it's taken you three years it almost as if for that to to perfect in your mind or to, to slowly come out and to express itself what I felt was uh, was maybe holding it back I think the, the stories absolutely just fell on the page and the songs similarly did but I had got in the way a few times and I had to remove myself over the course of a few mm-hmm. years where I'd got too much in the way you know because that, that's the thing that stops something from being itself being something absolute and real if you've got in the way maybe you've worried about how you were going to be seen or you've worried about how something might have sounded then straight away you've compromised it. So you've got to get yourself right out of it. You've got to not exist for it to exist. Mm-hmm. And so, like when you talk about meditative state or something like that, I think that is that's the the parallel with it, where you've got to be absolutely unselfconscious and away from it, away from feeling that you're part of the judgment or anything like that. And the only way that I can do that is probably by using beer jacket instead of money. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a fairly flimsy. Um, means of protecting myself like a beer jacket excellent I'm kind of just a wee bit of silence I'm taking it and it's really making me think a lot um, one other question I wanted to ask you is so you've described yourself in the past as a voracious reader, that's your words um, you know what are you reading oh, so, so I've just read the most amazing book unbelievable that nothing else I've ever read Robin Robertson's A Long Take it's a 200 odd page poem I've right. never, I've never I, I like teaching poetry and I do love poetry mm-hmm. but I wouldn't say I'm a voracious reader of poetry I've, I've got my favourites and I read a lot but um, but this this book's unbelievable, it was one of the Man Booker Prize um, on, on the list, didn't win but it, it probably should have done to be fair but um, it's unbelievable basically it's about a D-Day veteran returning to trying to return to normal life um, and sort of finding himself travelling across uh, various places in America and he becomes a reporter along the way and as he sees basically all the, the kind of 
the kind of grim sides of uh, like New York and Los Angeles. Yeah. And he, he, he sees things that remind him of the things that he's seen at war. Um, and so he, he's, he's suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. He's got a lot of guilt. It's just it's unbelievable. And I've never read anything like it where it was like some of the best characterization I've read for a long time and it's in the, in the context of an extended, an extremely extended, like, epic poem. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. But I've been reading a lot, though. I'm, uh, I'm reading... Um, I've, I've just started reading another poetry thing called, um, by Nadine Aisha Jassett, and that's really good. Um, before that, I was reading... What did I read? I read the Lemmy autobiography. It's oh, great. Uh, how it's good, good is that? Really, really good. So I, I, cho- I went for the audiobook because it's him that reads it. I, I've, I've gone for other audiobooks stuff of his as well. Ah, uh, it's so funny. There was a few times I screamed. I was like, I can't believe he's put that in there. Which but, is that's honestly nice yeah. actually. Oh, it's brilliant. I, I like, I like how uh, you know for a long period it seemed like there was no there's no set aim, and it's I suppose a wee bit like. I'm talking about this kind of creative urge just, that just sort of he's a, uh, he's a genius he's my favourite anything he does makes me laugh uncontrollably even when he's kind of being serious but I, I like how I've, I've, I've read that in the middle of reading a load of really heavy stuff uh-huh. because I mean I think he's a really really clever guy is, um, yeah. and really sort of surreal and everything but also you know it's amazing the kind of levity that he can bring to some really dark pictures, you know, know. things that he's gone through, you know. And before that, I read uh, For the Good Times by David Keenan, which is just unreal, as in jaw-dropping. He's one of the best writers around just now. Read Chris's book, Christmas Weir's book. I read a lot, to be honest. Aye, sounds it. But, I mean, you never get finished. That's uh-huh. the thing about, like, I'm, I'm reading a lot of new things at the moment. What about books that came out hundreds of years ago that I've never read? What about, you know, even, like, my favourite writer, Haruki Murakami, released a book recently. I'm not even getting close to it because <laughs> there's too much to read. And I'll never, I'll never get finished reading. I'll never get finished writing. I'll never get finished writing songs. never get finished listening to them. Just... Great though, isn't it? How so much stuff there is you'll, you'll never, never get, get to read. You'll never be finished with the stuff that you love. No, no, why would you? Imagine you did. Actually, talking to David Keenan at his uh, launch thing, he was talking about this quote, I'm forgetting now where he got the, the quote from, but that basically the, the purpose of art is to cure yourself of art. But see, he was celebrating that and was, he was a fantastic speaker as well. He was all excitable and amazing to listen to. He was excitable about that, and I actually felt kind of panicky at the idea that well, you cure yourself of that. That's other than family. That's that's the best thing in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, family and art. They are, you know, that's who I am. You know, and 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 I, of course, I don't know if that sounds pretentious. I don't know. Not at all. It really, it, 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 it's, that's if it's an honest expression. Yes, yes. I don't think they're that different, to be honest with you. Whether you're creating art or you're creating family around you and in your relationships it's all part of the one thing your kind of purpose in the world is to communicate uh-huh. and to be here I totally agree to communicate and to, uh, to connect in some way and the two things are essentially the same thing aren't they yeah. Yeah. we're uh, all a family aye mm-hmm. 
dysfunctional one. Well, <laughs> we do our best. Aye. <laughs> Is there anything you want to cover and you want to pick up that we've not touched on? I don't know. We've talked about it quite a lot. Wow. Yeah. It's been uh, it's been a good conversation. It has. Really? Um, no. No, I think that's a good place to stop if you're all right. I think so. Again, thank, thanks so much for coming. I really, really appreciate it. I've had a good time.